Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all doing well. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And today's episode, I sit down with Niall Marr. Um, this is the first time I'd, I'd met Niall and we have a wonderful chat. You get a real insight into Niall's life growing up and the music that he was exposed to at a very young age. Uh, and you also get a, a real peek behind the curtain of, um, of, a, of a working musician uh, and Niall's career uh, in music. It's a fascinating chat this you're going to really enjoy it um before we get on with that chat um i just want to say thank you to 76 for producing this podcast uh thanks to scroobius pip and everybody at the distraction pieces network and yeah and if you do enjoy this uh podcast and it's your first time listening to off the beaten track go and have a look in the the archives you know because in the back catalog you will have access to over 150 uh, podcasts with some of your favourite musicians, producers, actors, comedians, DJs. Go and go and have a rummage and see what you can find because there's uh, there's something for everyone in there. And uh, and if that's not enough, I do also have a Patreon page, so you can head over and support the podcast there. Um, and I put standalone episodes up um, over there each week as well. You can find out about everything at offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Okay, well look, let's get back to today's episode. Please enjoy. Off the Beaten Track podcast with the wonderful Niall Marr. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And... What I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that... They only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out. Because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. 
What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. Welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast, sitting opposite me today via the means of Zoom. It's Niall Mar. Hello. All right. How you doing? Yeah, not bad. You know, I think doing about as well as everyone else. Good. Well, I'm going to ask them before... The, the main question. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I'll ask, I'll touch on that before we, we get into your playlist. Um, and so how have you found the whole crazy scenario that we've been in there for, for three months? How have you found that as a, as a human being and, uh, and as a creative? I think as a human being, I am 100% in the camp of if you manage to get out of bed today, that's like, that's a win in my book for, and that goes for everyone. I'm sort of like, I'm not, I'm not one of these people to kind of go, oh my God, you know, why, why have you not been productive? You know, people need to be like writing the next great novel and, you know, recording the best album they've ever made in their bedroom. I'm of the like, you know what, whatever you're doing to get by, that, that's fine with me. Um, music wise, like it, it could have been a worse time for uh, my stuff because we were um, in the studio and I was writing, uh, like I was just finished writing the next record. So one that will come out in 2021. Um, and so we didn't have many live shows to cancel. You know, most of my live shows were coming at the end of the year. So yeah. who knows? We we might be able to we might be able to still do them, uh, and if not, it'll just be twenty twenty one. But it's you know, it's been annoying, obviously. Um, but given given the scale of things, I think I can handle not being able to get into my studio for, yeah. for three months. You know. Well, I do think there's like, it's, I think that could be a double-edged sword, one. you know. I think sometimes like, you know, there is going to be some amazing stuff coming out of this. I think some people are just going to churn out something they may never have had time to have done otherwise. But I also think yeah. there's going to be those people that are forcing it because they're like, right, I've got like three months, I'm going to write this album. And there's going to be a lot of shit coming out as well. There's going to be, <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a lot of bad lyrics. There's going to be a lot of like, unfortunately, I feel like, so I'd mostly written, so this, we, we have an album coming out that, that will be out in 2020, um, but this record that I was writing that's the next, the one after this, it was, um, so I'm always writing songs and then I'd pretty much, I'd written all but like three songs just before lockdown started. And then when lockdown started, obviously I can't suddenly play like really loud. So I feel like there's now on the record, it's going to suddenly go like acoustic folk. And <laughs> I, you know, 
and unfortunately, that's I was my hands were tied on that one. So uh, we'll we'll see. So I might have joined the ranks of the like, oh Jesus Christ, he's doing this, <laughs> you know. So we'll see. Well, well we'll see. We'll have to see. Well, let's um, let's start your playlist now, and um, and I always start with um, the question. I want to know the track which you regard as being the song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah, this one really, really stumped me. Because, you know, thankfully I got the heads up on the questions before. I, yeah. Um, I should point out, this, I don't know your this, answers yet. So they're, they're all new to yeah. me. So. This was a big question. Uh, and so big, like, so I, I made a playlist because as I was thinking, and I was like, this playlist is like two hours long. Because... You know, because there's so many different kinds of intros. So we've got like, I was like, do you go the classic rock route? Do you go all along the Watchtower? Um, like, unbelievable intro. It's Jimi Hendrix. It's kind of hard to beat. And then, I mean, as I always remember, you know, and then you've got stuff like, um, you know, like Sister Sledge, Lost in Music, man. You just oh. listen it. That intro. Have you, have, have you heard the Dimitri from Paris version of that? Brilliant. It's Brilliant. astounding. <laughs> it, it's like all the bits that just go on like longer. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. amazing. So so with an intro, you're like, okay, we've got we've got a few options like that. You know, Rebel Rebel, iconic. Mm-hmm. It, I was sort of thinking like, it's not just for the best intro, it, it can't just be something that it can't just be a good way to start a song. Yeah, I was yeah. like, it's gotta be recognizable. It's um it's got to be like if you can do a really good intro like the sister sledge one lost in music's a really long intro and it's mm-hmm. amazing because you're like i want this to keep going yeah whereas say like i even thought um pixies monkey gone to heaven oh. dun, 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 dun. sure that's also a brilliant intro because yep. it's a great intro should just start the tune so yeah. i really really i had so many choices like loser yeah so anyway so i was really really i was really up against the wall for this one but based on the category of like it's got to be badass it's got to set up the tone of the song and i think it has to be instantly recognizable i'm going with sabotage beastie boys ah oh. Incredible! What a choice. What? No one, no one's ever said it either. What a choice. It's, it's got to be one of the greatest intros, if not the greatest intro of all time. Yeah. Uh, because you put it on, and it doesn't matter what mood you've got. So, with sabotage, because of that intro, you could have been listening to Nick Drake the song before, and if yeah. sabotage comes on, you're immediately up for hearing sabotage. Yeah, a hundred percent. I reckon. If I'm ever feeling anything other than chipper and I need a little pick-me-up, I will go straight on YouTube, Letterman, when uh, they're playing on Letterman. It's off the fucking scale. It's so good. It's <laughs> so good. And I recently made the mistake of accidentally playing the remastered version um, that is on Spotify. And I was sitting there like, Something doesn't something doesn't quite hit the same, and yeah. then I realised I was like, no, 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 it's got to be that version of sabotage. Yeah. It's in. So sabotage, great, greatest intro of all time. 
Solid shout, now. That's a, that's yeah. a great shout. And do you know what? What you said about like you could have been listening to Nick Drake uh, and then Sabotage comes on. When you actually look at like the structure of Beastie Boys albums, you could theoretically have an acoustic track before Sabotage. Do you know what I mean? Because 100%. Th- there's, there's no genre to them albums. Yeah. They're all over the fucking place. And yeah. like, but they master every single genre that they play. It's they're so good. Like, you know, and I like, you know, like Paul's Boutique is an amazing record. That I think, you know, obviously it's not the one you think of, you know, when you think Beastie Boys and like anything past the Fight for Your Right to Party era, which, you know, they even know, like I, the fact that they were so smart to be like, we're serious enough about wanting to just be the most amazing kind of artist that we can has made their records. Like they will always be fantastic. And you know what, man, like if the three of them were, were still around their records, their records would still be brilliant. They'd make something brilliant. You know, do you know what? No, it's like, I mean, where I'm sitting now to, to my right, I've got a lot of Beastie Boys artwork on my wall. Um, they're, they're, they're a band for me that I'm 47. And so I think I was like 13 or 14 when Fight For Your Right come out. So yeah. when you're 13 and all of a sudden there's these raucous Americans that are just telling you to just go nuts, we all went nuts. And it's like, yeah. but the thing is, I, aside from maybe Prince, I can't think of a band that, I was playing out in, like when I was DJing then, maybe when I was sort of 16, 17, to now I'm still playing the Beastie Boys. And whatever album they put out was still as vital and as important to me as the first one I ever heard. There's not yeah. many artists that have grown throughout my whole life. It, it's, and it's because they wanted to change. That's, yeah. the, that's why. And they recognised that their audience, you know, like when Fight For Your Right comes out and that era... Uh, and like you say, that generation of kids, obviously, it's like a bit before my time. But you go, I can imagine you've got a massive audience immediately. And then the real heads, you know, that are willing to go there with them, they'll just move and to, the, to be excited for the next thing. And they've actually, because they've changed so much, they could leave a lot of the people that maybe, you know, for example, like first album is just that blip for in their music taste, you know, and they might not be music fans, you mm. know, a lot of, it's weird to think, but like, that's why the beastie boys are so fucking good that they can change up their sound. And if you were on the level, you're like, I I'm picking up what these guys are putting down. And you know, what's, what's amazing in the, in the book, someone this is why I love the internet. In that Beastie Boys book that came out a couple of years back, someone has gone through every track that they reference that they were listening to at the time, and on Spotify, all three, like all, there's for a playlist for each of the three dudes with every track they mentioned in the book. Amazing, unbelievable. You can just put like I, you know, so. I've just like signed up to them and you can just like play through what they were listening to at the time and tracks come on where you're like, I 100% picture 
them hearing that and being like, oh my God, we should do something like this. And yeah. it's really, really cool. It, you know, it's like 10 hours of just brill music. Oh, well, that's my day sorted. Yeah. All right, now, track two. The first song you remember hearing had an emotional impact on you. Right. So the first, the first record I ever had as a little kid, you know, that I, I, can't, I can't take credit for buying, but this was the first album that was like that I you know was when I was like from the age of like four through to still now but like I had a CD player like a CD radio in my room and you could you know like shuffle you could repeat um you know you could loop the album and then the best one the best feature of it you could hand pick the tracks that it would cycle through and then loop that. So if you want, only wanted to hear four or five tracks on an album, you could set it to do that. And, and so the first album I had was um, Desire with Bob Dylan. And that was what I grew up listening to just as a little kid, like the stories that are all in it. Um, but, but when you reach, like for me, when I was like nine, 10 years old, the, that's when I started sort of developing my own music taste, I think, you know, and for me, that kind of early 2000s American music where you had like the Shins, Elliot Smith, Beck, you know, all of this stuff was really, when I was a 10 year old was suddenly like, this is the music that I am recognizing. So the, the one that really had the, the first time, like, true you know like adult emotions to i mean adolescent emotions that go with uh with the song was anthems for a 17 year old girl broken social scene nice and still to this day i i, I still think that album's my favorite album of all time that is still my favorite song of all time and i just spent I've spent years with headphones on, like in, you know, like in my bedroom, just listening to that album and particularly that song, because when I first heard it, I'd never heard music like it. The fact that you've got like Emily Haynes singing, you know, and the words are so simple and perfect. And then like you have all the backwards stuff. Their, their records are so dense and it's an amazing headphones listen no other band that I think have ever been able to sound like him, um, you know, as much as Arcade Fire tried, and which I, they, they admit to, which I'm like, this is amazing. And the, the fact that you can listen and years later find like a little part in a violin that does something that I didn't know, you know, that I've been listening to for years. And I was like, I never knew that that note went down. And, you know, and then like, since... Hearing that, I have basically tried my entire life to like write that song, and every time I'll just I and it feels like obviously some songs I, I I'll do that you know you'll people that listen to my music might listen to it go this sounds nothing like that but in my head yeah. there's a lot of times where if I could just if I could write that song for the rest of my life, I would be happy. And that's actually the song that 
makes me want to write music because if ever I'm stuck for writing a song or wanting to to create something I'll go I that song had such an emotional impact on me I can continue to go back to that well what th- what was that emotion no it it was just that I didn't know music could make you feel like that the fact that the singing is so sweet and for me I wasn't hearing it wasn't shouty. It's not fast. And I love shouty fast music. You know, I love guitar, super guitar-y music. And this song doesn't necessarily have any of that. And it, you know, it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It's the most beautiful. It, that, that made me realize that the bit that makes me happy is pretty melodies. And it's the chord change that's so beautiful. And it just goes round and round and, the different the different harmonies that all come in and the violins and the backwards loops and everything it was it made me feel it's like sad and happy at the same time and for me it just makes you feel good and that's why i'm like if i could write sweet songs that make people feel good for the rest of my life i would that that's where i'm like i will do that and for me that emotional well never runs dry if i if I just think, I'm just trying to do that, I, I'll be happy, you know. It's, and the whole album's like that. Their whole catalogue is like that for me. Yeah. They, they don't have a bad record. You know? Well, I generally ask um, guests, uh, when, I, when I'm asking um, about track two, um, where they were born and, 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 was, and was their music on at home growing up? And, and I guess it's a, a, a crazy question to ask you, was their music on a, at home growing up? I'm, I'm sure that was pretty much the case. Yeah, it's just like constant. And the, the bit that I think, you know, this is, and obviously this isn't to, I'm not trying to be like show off here, you know, oh, my first record was Desire, um, you, know, <laughs> you know, like a five-year-old with like, you know, like this critical Bob Dylan opinion. You know? um, but, um, but basically the thing that I learned from being around, from growing up in a house with professional musicians constantly, you know, we had adults who lived with us all the time. You know, we had a studio in the house like that. So it was constant. I grew up in a studio, you know, my bedroom had the, the reel to reels in, you know, but the whole house was wired up as a studio, you know, um, and so what I grew up around was learning to listen to music, like, critically, you know, and not to sit there and be like an armchair critic, but to go to engage with music that's on. Would, would, would you, from, you know, I, I, I guess if there's music being recorded at home, would, would, you, would you, you know, from a young age, deconstructing music and working out how it was put together? I wasn't necessarily that techie, but what it was, was we'd do that from a song point of view. So I, this is why Broken Social Scene for me are perfect, because I, tech-wise, tech no idea how they made those records. And, they're just, and that is beautiful to me, because the mystery is, is there. Yeah. But for, for what it was, is like, if you put a record on in our house, like if you're playing a song, you know, and anyone would be able to be like oh my god check this out check this out check this out and when you're playing a tune it it's not in the background it like demands full attention and you're breaking in you're 
absorbing why it is you love it. So we talk about, you know, we're very much a family that was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And when when this when the change chords there and that bit goes lower and then this bit goes higher, like we talk about songs like that as opposed to it wouldn't be like necessarily the technical aspect. Yeah. But it'd be it'd be like defending your like, oh no, I love this because uh, when this bit comes in and then like it on the left hand side, you've got that like little, you know, violin part. And on this one, there's like, oh, and the banjo loop that comes yeah. in, you know, it's, it's that kind of like engaging with music on that level. And yeah. that's why I'm like, if any, you can like any kind of music you want, but you have to be able to tell me why, like you have to be able to defend it to me yeah. because um, I'm going to do that for my stuff, you know, yeah. which I'm sure my mates are really tired of me doing, you know, but you've got to be intense about music or, or what else? What's the point? You know? You've got to be excited about it. Yeah. You know, you, you, you have to, like, you know, I, I, I can't, everybody's entitled to listen to music however they want, but when you say to people, like, what are you into? I'm not really into music. Like Red flag. I just think, I don't think we can be mates. Yeah, yeah, it's a red, it's a red flag. It's a red flag, man. It's, it's weird. Okay. Yeah. Track three now. The song reminds you of your time at school. Right, song that reminds me of my time at school. Now, this is, again, this is coming from the same period. This is, like, this is all going to be those formative years of these records that came out. For me, it's these American records came out with guys that weren't singing in any kind of rock manner either, you know, which always spoke to me because I, I even then, you know, even before I started writing songs myself, I knew that's what spoke to me. I'm not a shout. I'm not a shouty dude. I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't have that like, I don't have that outward ability, you know, it, to me, I would be too self-conscious to stand there and be like punk rock. And that's what always amazes me about people that can, it's almost too actory for me, you know? Um, but the, um, I was really into, you know, when I was from like 12, from like 11 through to, you know, through to 17, I was really, really into death cab for cutie because it was like taking a lot of the influence from those Pacific Northwest bands that I was starting to, to get into. And um, there was a couple of mates that I had that are like music crossed over that we liked Death Cab. Um, and that album Transatlanticism is just, I think it's their best, their best album. It's like a shot. It's like a bolt from the blue that just stands alone as this amazing thing. And I hammered that album when it came out for like four years yeah um and the the song transatlanticism like in thinking about this i know it so well and i hammered it from when i was a kid um that i rarely put it on you know i rarely play that album now you know um and i listened back to it when i was picking the track for um uh, for these questions and I was just like sat there, like I forgot how I forgot how brilliant this this song yeah. is. Like, and I, when I first heard it, I'd never heard I'd never heard a song like it, and I'd never heard music like that song. And I and I obsessed over it, and that was another one where I was like, oh, 
I want to try and write music like that. And I, for, for years I was like, I need a song that does that. And for the first album that I made, uh, uh, we have a track. I think, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's the last track on there. It's called slow dance. And it's one of my favorite ones that I've ever written. And I'll never, I'll never write something like that again. Cause I was like, right, done that. Uh, all the, all the, you know, the records that I, I make in the batches of songs that I do, I always have something that's kind of coming from that world because it's really, that's what I like to do. But yeah, that, that tune was directly influenced by transatlanticism because I just needed to, I needed to understand how you'd make a song like that. And I even did like, I used to, because at the time I was writing and performing just gigs on my own um, with a looper. So it was like electric guitar and then a looper and, you know, and I was like, I bet I could play transatlanticism on guitar and the bit that I love, I could make it happen on a looper. And that was when things started to like, I guess, turn into, that's, that's when it kind of morphed into how I am, you know, in a more, as a more adult where I'm writing songs, it came from transatlanticism and then working out how you even try and make music like that, you know, but it's not your average, like when all, all my mates were like getting into Arctic monkeys and, and stuff, I was like, fuck off. I'm listening to like <laughs> this wimpy shit from the Pacific Northwest, you know? So I, I, the sentiment wasn't shared amongst yeah. early noughties, you know, teens. <laughs> so, so did you enjoy school now? Um, yeah, I like, I, I went to a pretty, like, I, I was quite lucky. Like I went to a school, we had a lot of mates, you know, that um, pretty much every social group got on with each other in some capacity. There was no like, you know, I, I think some kids can be, it, school is really, really tough. Um, you know, and waking up every, I, I can't really say I woke up every day dreading yeah. uh, going to school. Like I really like learning. Um, like every kid I was bored, you know, I had a few a handful of really good engaging teachers. So I was, I was pretty lucky. Um, I didn't feel supported musically at school. You know, I never did music at school. I was just like, in my vibe, I was like, these people don't get it. I can't read music, I, you know, um, but. What did you want to be at school? Uh, like, probably a teacher, to be honest. At, at school, I did, my two, I had like some amazing history teachers um, and uh, this amazing religious studies teacher who was like this, he was like a Buddhist monk and then, um changed his career path and and he was he used to just let me like hang out um with him a lot and he just because i was interested in all that stuff as a kid and he just let me like sit in with older kids lessons and and stuff he was really like he was on the retirement path and just kind of didn't didn't care you know and he's like i've got this kid who's who's like interested in in you know like in learning about religion and he was just a, an interesting dude to be around. So I had like, I had good mates at school. You know, I, I had some good teachers. Um, 
I had some. T- <laughs> Although I will tell you this one, when my dad was in, when my dad joined Modest Mouse, who were, were like one of my f- favorite bands prior to my dad joining, yeah. which was really cool. When you were was- talking about the bands from that era, I was thinking, I wonder if that might make. Uh, oh, I was I was into that scene before anyway, yeah. which made it amazing when we eventually moved to where that scene was. And all of a sudden I'm walking down the streets and I'm like, he's in my favorite band. He's in my favorite band. You know? And <laughs> yeah. it, it was great. I, I loved it. And like, but I remember, so Modest Mouse played um, the Albert Hall. You know, also I used to just skip school to go to gigs constantly. You know, and most of my, t- like, my cool teachers knew, and they were like, as long as his marks are good, you know, because I, like, I did pretty well in school. Like, as long as they were like, and my parents' vibe was, you can do what you want if you're getting good grades. And it was really like, you can do what you want, you know, and I'd get suspended for having long hair, like, constantly. And they learned pretty quick when they called my parents, being like, your kid is no longer allowed to come into school. And they're like, why? Like his hair's too long. And obviously they were not going to be like, we'll cut it right away. They're like, <laughs> get fucked, you know? Um, but I had my like head of year when, um, I, I guess I was like 16. Um, and, uh, my dad was playing modest mouse were playing the Albert hall in London, you know? I'm driving down with my mum. We're like, we're, we're going, you know, we're, we're going this. My dad's playing Albert Hall, you know, with Modest Mouth. This is so cool. And um, the school called my mum and I was in the car driving down. And my mum did the like, oh, yeah. He's just really, he just wasn't feeling very well at all. So we decided to keep him home. And they learned pretty quick that I had this teacher who was just had an axe to grind against me. And she used to check bands that she knew I liked tour dates and check them with my absent report. And she was like, we've checked. We know your son's skipping school. We know he's with you. And we know you're, you're going to go see modest mouse. at Albert Brilliant. And my mom was like, uh, all right. Yeah, fine. What's it, what, what he's going to learn more. Like yeah. being around that than sitting in school, you know. Yeah. So I was of that camp, and I used to miss a lot of school to go to gigs. But that's incredible. I love the concept that your teachers leaping through the NME trying to check out the gig guide. Oh, right, the yeah. shins are playing. Yep, yeah, no, I was going to yeah. be off that day. Just watch. Just no, watch. No, it was exactly <laughs> that. It was exactly that. They were like, they worked out what bands are like. They asked my mates, you know, and and they'd just be like, no, you know. And um, which I think is absolute is, is ridiculous. If someone's like, because I used to get the train down, like I'd like skive, you know, the last couple of lessons because I was gigging at this point. I'd like where it, where where was school? Was it Manchester? Yeah. So yeah. and I went to school next to a train station. So what what had happened is, say when I was gigging, I played in London constantly when I was learning to play, you know, and I'd usually bunk off the last couple of lessons. I'd have my guitar in school, run to the train station, hop on the, the train before peak time started, get changed on the, out of my school uniform on the train, go to the gig, play a show in London, <clears throat> hop, 
hop back on the train. If I was opening for a band that I really liked, obviously I'd like stay, watch the gig, get the last train home. If I missed the last train, it'd be like the mail train, which you used to be able to get, or like, you know, some kid station with my guitar and a school uniform in, in my bag. And then I'd get train back up to Manchester. Look, like if I had time, get a few hours kip at my, you know, uh, my house and then go into school but sometimes it'd just be get into school like yeah. you know have a kip at the train station go into school and like i'd do that all the time so they knew they knew i was doing it and yeah. my vibe was like well, i'm not gonna hide that i'm doing it but surely if i'm getting good marks you can't say anything you know because exactly. i'm learning more about what i want to do this yeah. way you know Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Track four. Yeah. First record you bought from a record store, now. First record I bought from a record shop. I remember... Um, that Beck album Sea Change came out and that was the first one that I was like, that I really remember going, you know, cause I think I was 10 when it came out and I was like, that's was a it? heavy record for a 10 year old. 
this is what I mean. And I was into I was into Beck as a kid. Like that was a big it. progression. That album wasn't it? Mind blowing. And so I was like, I knew, you know, I was into how he sung and like all the the grooves and stuff. And I was like, this is great. And then, you know, that record came out, and I obviously I didn't know what it was going to sound like. And I was just like, great, this is I'm going to get into this. And man, I listened to that for years. Just. And then it was only later in life I realized, I think that might have been the introduction to like backwards noises and weird ambient stuff that I thought came from music I discovered later. And then when I went back to revisit it, I was like, it was me as a 10 through 13 year old listening to Sea Change. You know, so I've got the, the track is got to be Lost Cause. You know, oh, what a record. What and, a record. And I was learning to play guitar, like, very, like, vicariously, you know, just little bits and bobs. I wasn't being like, I will learn to play guitar. And I learned to play, around that time, I'd, like, learned to play that one. Because I was just loving playing acoustic. And I, I wasn't interested in, like, playing electric, because mm. it was sort of, my idea of electric guitar was, like, what I could hear coming from the live room. In my, you know, uh, from my dad and other bands. And it was like, it, as a little kid, I'm like, that's too loud. Everyone can hear you. You have to be good. But acoustic, I was like, no, you can just be in your bubble and play. So Lost Cause was one that I like learned to play and I'd started to try and sing a little bit. And, you know, so that, that was a big track, but that was a big record for me, you know. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, well let's move it on a few years to clubbing and um, yeah. for track four. Um, I want to know what uh, song soundtracked your year. I mean, you're still a young man, Noel. I imagine there's, yeah. there's, uh, there's still clubbing going on. But um, and, and also, should also add to this question: I, I, people can misinterpret that. You know, when, when I say clubland, that doesn't necessarily mean a lost summer in Ibiza or some <laughs> chrome-covered club in, in the high street. You know, it, it can be your dirty, sweaty indie club down the road. Yeah. You know. Well, it's a funny one with that because so I don't drink. Like, never have, never even tried it. And for me, I wasn't in, like, I just wasn't interested in any of that. So, like, those years where, um, I'm also, I'm, I want to be clear as well, I'm also not one of these people that I'm like, I think it's a scourge on society and evil. Obviously, no one likes to be around a pisshead. And from my experience, I was like, pubs would be where I'd be called a faggot and beaten up. Um, you know, a lot of times beaten up for looking gay. And I was like, those are environments, heavy boozing environments, particularly in Manchester, um, were places I was just like, I'm going to avoid because I don't like the people that do it. You know, that being said, I'm not of this like, I can't believe, you know, young teenagers are going out and getting pissed. I'm like, I think it's, I think you've got to do it. You know, I didn't do it, but... I listened to, I, my first record I bought was like Sea Change. I'm a weirdo. Um, but we, so I never had that kind of like messy club period, like going out period. It just wasn't something I, I did. But when we moved back, you know, I'd lived, I lived, you know, a lot of different places and we moved as a band when in my early twenties, when we were like, let's move back to Manchester and like, be the band you know and I was living with my band at the time and we 
you know, we, we hung out at the night and day in Manchester, you know, and we, we were just like part of the furniture there. And, you know, we'd gig there all the time. We'd practice there, like, and, and we'd DJ all the time because I lived five minutes away. We'd walk our, like, decks and loads of records, you know, because we were just like, let's bring the record collection. We'll just DJ. So we'd DJ indie nights, and I was always really into playing. Um, in my mind, my DJ approach, and, you know, see if you share this with me, that a good night is when girls are dancing okay. and which obviously everyone knows, but I'm like, especially in indie night to get girls dancing, girls need to be vibing off listening to other girls be brilliant. So I'd always make sure I'm like, no, 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 you've got to have girl voices. You've got to, they, there's got to be girls singing because an indie night with just dudes singing, just dudes are like, getting off on stuff and dudes don't start dancing unless there's girls dancing you know so i would always play like uh, our dj nights it would be a lot of the yeah yeah yeahs it would be the b52s you know it'd be like i'm I'm trying to think of some other some others you know obviously throwing blondie because blondie's a perfect transition track when you're djing because you can go from like electro and that kind of production to something like the B-52s, like a lo-fi guitar thing, and Blondie's the perfect bridge because tracks of any genre make sense either side of it. So that being Shoot, said... Blondie will get you out of trouble as a DJ Blondie, all night long. Exactly. It's, it's, you want to play some disco? Oh, stick on, stick on Atomic and then we'll, uh, we'll go into disco. You can do what exactly. you want. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's perfect. Get out of jail free. And um, so, but that being said, so... Our nights were a little, like our indie nights that when I was DJing were a little gayer than, than most, you know, which I was like, that's how you got to be. It's got to be brilliant. And, and then I bought, I found in a record store in Manchester, Toxic Britney Spears on 12 inch. Right. I was like buying that. Because it was hilarious that I even that I was like, who even made this on twelve inch? This is amazing. And yeah, who made that on twelve inch? I know a <laughs> genius is why. And um, and I bought it, and I I remember I was like, we're we're DJing, and the place was rammed, and I was like, I'm gonna play Toxic. I'm gonna, I was telling my mate, so I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Toxic. I'm gonna play it. And half of them, well, and my, my mate who was DJing with me was like, absolutely not, no chance, you do not put that, because sh- if it was up to him, he'd only play like Sabbath, it'd be gross, you know, and I was like, no, 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 watch this, watch this, and you're in like a hipster indie bar, you're listening to DJs, like, playing tunes on vinyl, everyone's getting off on their own, like, we're super cool, place is rammed, Toxic comes on, half the room loses their mind, because it's... It's a tune. I don't care what music you listen to. That is a tune. It's a fucking huge record. It, and, and to drop that, especially on tw- the 12-inch version, is magnificent. <laughs> and, like, to drop that in amongst, like, you know, kind of, like, hipster indie stuff is a bold move. And, like, <laughs> I, like I say, there's, like, a divide. And in that second, like, everyone stops. There's a moment of, like, you could see it ripple around the room where you're like, wait what and then you're either 
losing your mind, like, oh my God, my night has taken the best turn. Or half of you are like, this is not what I want to be seen to be dancing to. Not that this is, I don't like it. This is, I don't want people to see me enjoying this. Do you know what? No, they might be standing there scratching their beards, trying to be like too cool for school, but their fucking feet will be moving. I know. It's like you either (laughs) like toxic or you're lying about it. So (laughs) they're your two choices. Yeah. So so then I, I got a bit of a reputation. Obviously I wouldn't play it every time, but like, we got a bit of a reputation for like when I was DJing, the fact that people knew I owned this, they were like, there's a possibility it gets played, you know? Yeah. So, so that's great choice. Toxic is my, toxic is my clubbing, my clubbing one. Brilliant. Okay. So, well, you mentioned a moment ago that you, you've moved a lot. Um, and so for track six, I, I always ask for a favorite song from an artist from your home County. Um, so where's, where's home Manchester? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, I misread that because I'm dyslexic. Don't worry. You, you'll um, probably be like the other 80% of people that misread that. Yeah, I, I, made, <laughs> I read that as my home country, and that still spun me out. I was like, this is, you know, because I was just like, oh, I'm right. Because, because I listened to American music, and that's my, like, bread and butter, and I was always a kid who was wanting to be like American guitar bands. Obviously, you know... Up there with the greatest intro, Beetlebum. That was a, that was one thrown around. That's a good way to start a tune. I'm like, I'm really. But that really... album, that album was definitely the, the the changing point. You, there's the album where they've been listening to Pavement. That's yeah. the album where like Sebado's been on the stereo. You can tell Coxon stepped up there and went, yeah. right, look, I, I, I want to kind of play like a bit yeah. of this. It's why it's the Blur album that I have the most time for, and I yeah. like Blur, you know, because I like I like what they do and. Mm. And, you know, but Beetlebum was honorable mention and, and the first one. So I was like, for this, when I read it as my home country, I was like, oh, I'm like, do I throw Blur in? You know, do obviously another one for intro was Know Your Rights by The Clash. Yeah. That, this is a public service announcement with guitars is a good way to start a song. But I was like, maybe I play The Clash. But to be honest, my, my favorite song from an artist from my home country, they're from Nottingham. Um, and they're a band we sort of came up with and we used to, to play with a lot on shows. They're a band called Kagool, and the track is called Egg Hunt. And they've got two versions. And the Egg Hunt version that I wanted to, to put this down as my favorite like English song is from the Strange Entertainment version. So that, that's the album that they did. Um, and why I picked that one is... They were a three, so they're a three piece. My band were a three piece, and we used to always like whenever we'd book a show, we'd be like, "Let's try and get Kagool. Let's just try and get Kagool to play with us." Because setup was the same; it was easy. We all knew this is even before we knew them that well. I I could tell I was like, we like the same music, you know. And when you find a band that are doing that vibe, and and so we'd just be like, Let, let's just play with Kagool. You know, they're, they're fucking brilliant. Their first album is out of this world good. And it was like, again, we were just like, holy shit, these young kids are amazing. And they're a band that made us, whenever we'd be on the same festival bills or anything like that, we'd be stood at the side of the stage going, right, we've got to be really good. 
Like, you know, and I know they were also doing that. So the gigs, when we played together, because we loved the band so much, we were, we were also like, they make us want to be a better band. And, you know, in that, that competitive element of like, oh, right. And every time they'd come out with something new, like every time we'd see them after like not seeing them for a while, they'd be different and, and they'd be better. And we were like, oh, man, right. We've got to be really, really good. And I remember they played, um, they opened for Drenge, I think, at uh, Gorilla in Manchester. And I'd not seen them for a while. Because uh, I, I think I'd been in the States. And then um, I, I was like, yeah, but great, I'm going to see him. And I kind of, from speaking to Kai, um, the singer, he was sort of letting me know, like, they'd kind of been working on new stuff. And I was like, great, we're going to hear some, because they'd not played in ages. And I was like, cool, we're going to hear some new Kagul stuff. And I think they opened with it. And no one was, it was like early opener. No one was really paying much attention. And I was like, right, let me see what this happens. And the riff that starts, the groove that the drummer's playing is amazing. And his grooves are always really good. And he'd suddenly gotten really good. And then like the, this riff comes in that's on the, the strange entertainment version. And you know, when you're sitting there watching like your mates band play, well, I sat there and I, I, I stood there in, in the crowd like, this is the coolest guitar riff I've seen someone play in ages. And, and I was like, whoa, this is so serious. Like, it hit like a ton of bricks. And the audience, you could tell, the, there's no disputing how good it was. Like, the people that were half paying attention, everyone paid attention. Yeah. And it, it was, that. that's the one where I was like, it it's a shame more people like don't know, don't know it. Cause it, it deserves to be considered like one of the greatest modern guitar tracks the UK has ever produced. It was, and seeing it when they played it, you know, they'd only played it a couple of times before it was out. I was like, I was blown away, you know? So egg hunt. Kugel. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we get on the last track, I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to push yep. you uh, for a song from an artist from your home county. Home county? Manchester? Uh, I don't know. This is the thing. Oh, right. It, you know what, man? It's got to be a New Order track. Like, it's it's got to be, you know, obviously, I mean, it's like insert New Order track here, you know, but like True Faith is amazing. Um I mean, there's so many New Order tracks that are just brilliant, you know. So, literally, the last record I was listening to today before this started was Bizarre Love Triangle. It's, it's amazing. And, it's you know, it's funny, perfect. like, I, obviously, I'm not, I'm not going to say, like, Joy Division are crap. Obviously, they're not crap, you know. Um, I don't listen to Joy Division. I, I struggle. Like, obviously, as part of my musical education, I was like, you've got to, you know, you got to know this. You got to be aware of this. You've got to you've got to get your head around it. Um, but for me, I can't put on um, I can't put on a Joy Division track because there's just something about it. And knowing that I'm of the like, if I want to exercise that part of me, I'll always put on New Order, just yeah. because for me it, it just it's more I don't know it's more uplifting. It just ticks just ticks a few more boxes 
you know. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's yeah, obviously I'm not going to sit there and be like, yeah, Joy Division suck, you know, but I, I'm definitely more in Camp New Order, you know. I, 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 I like Joy Division, but for me, that I like more New Order records than I like Joy Division records. Yeah. yeah. All right, last track. You can be DJ again now, Niall. And, uh, and it's a song that many may not know that you yeah. want them to hear. Right, so there's, um, there's this American band um, called The Glance, and they, they made, originally, they made two records. One, the first album is called Double Thriller. The second album is just called The Glance. I, I've picked a track off the second album. It's called Breathe Out. Um, Glands is in G L A N D S. Yeah. Right. So the um the second album is great. There's like you know loads of really really good tunes on it. It sounds better, you know, it it's more it's a more together record. First album I was really really I was really trying to pick a, a tune from them and it, honestly I could have gone from either album. The first album I remember listening to, um, and again, I had I had never heard music like it. It was like, and then this was a band that I got when I was like a teenager. I was obsessed with because there was no information on them. And when like, did they, when did these albums come out? So I think they were early two thousands, late nineties. Maybe ninety nine was the was the the first album, Double Thriller. And like, check this out. I had. For the for years, the only copy I had was like from someone else's iPod that was passed around to someone where you could take stuff off iPods, and and so I didn't realize for like five years I was listening to the album, missing the first track, <laughs> and it was only it was years later that I found out that I was like what, and um which was amazing. I was like, man, there's an album that I really love. There was a song I, I didn't know. Um, and so the glands, uh, there was no information about them. I think they're from, they're from Athens, Georgia. And oh, really? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that that was the case. I, I should have just looked into this, but I remember basically like at one point they were going to open, for Modest Mouse, like you know, years years down the line, uh, when Modest Mouse had just started to kind of get bigger, and these guys, I think, were a band that just constantly shot themselves selves in the foot, you know. And this could have been like a pretty good opportunity for them, you know, if they rehearsed and they were together. And show one comes around, guy didn't turn up, and it was basically because he didn't agree with the ticket pricing, which is, you could say, cool. But on the practical side, you just go, it's kind of a dick move there, you know, especially with no notice. So they're that kind of band that have this mystique around them. And then from, I would, I went through, I was in an American band at the time, and then we were making a record um, when I was like in my late teens. We were making a record in Seattle, and I had a lot of downtime. And I was like, I'm going to, decide to track down the glands because this was they didn't have any music on spotify at this point it was the only stuff you could get hold of was like a couple of cds that were floating around um, you know on discogs and like i had both but because i was like a super fan 
and no one knew the glands and it was always like I'd always meet these people in the states and I my first question just for for about a year became like hey do, do you know the glands and I was constantly trying to get bits of information and this first album was recorded so they all worked in a bar and then opposite the bar there was like a you know some like laundrette or something um in the not in a in a center like out of town and above the laundrette was like a studio a really old rundown like american studio not been updated since like the 50s and what they used to go they used to hang out in the bar and then when the bar closed at like three in the morning they'd be like let's go make now let's go record. And they just pulled a lot of their mates who were just in the bar at the time to play on the record. And it's like weird and out of tune and all pretty much improvised. Like this, you have the song and then these takes were pretty much like put down with whoever was in at the time. Like they might be like, Oh, this guy, he plays saxophone. Did you bring your sax? Yeah, let come just play sax, you know, and it's got this like weird, really weird energy that sounds like it was recorded between like three a.m. and six a.m. Loose, you know, but it somehow works. Like the guitar parts, whoever played guitar on it, they're they're really interesting, and it sounds like they're improvising. They're like making it up as they go along, and I got really, really into finding out about them, and I even went to the point where I was like. I'm going to track down the singer and I'm going to call him and be like, I'm just going to just call him and, and try and see if he wants to talk about the glance. And it took a couple of weeks of like, I found out he worked at a record store called the record store. And they're like, Oh, he quit like three years ago. And then I was like, well, have you got someone else's number who knew the guy? And, and I was really like, connecting the dots you should have phoned up your old teacher she's really good at doing some uh, undercover work mate yeah i know i know <laughs> but so i even got to the point where i got his i found his like last like last known address you know and i was like shit i'm gonna i'm gonna call him and and i and i thought about it for a couple of days and i was like because all i wanted to know was basically just like did you ever make it on vinyl and can you tell me about making the record? Because um, I just there was just nothing known about them, and and I didn't. And I and I was like, you know what? I got to it, and I was like, I, I didn't end up calling him. And then the glance, you know, and they never did anything after after those two records. And then um, and then the guy died, dead young. Oh no, died. And I was like, oh, well. That's, that was the end of the glands. And I remember being like, okay, well, these two records now just sit as like a weird thing in time. They got put on Spotify with a few extra tracks. I'm still a purist where I like the old record covers that were on the CDs and the original track listing. And then they, then there's, there was a new track of, I guess, they made a load of songs before he died. I've not even bothered to go into it because I'm like, this to, in my head isn't Glans canon. But the, those first two albums, if you're interested in like lo-fi, weird, almost Americana, um, like songwriting, 
they're really two, I think, kind of flawless albums. If you can get on board with how they sound and how like weird and out of tune everything is and the weird production, I just think it's really interesting. And that's another one where I'm like, if I knew how to make records that sounded yeah. that, that loose, I'd do it. But it, I, there was just something so the mystique about them turned into this like year long search for me, you know? So yeah, breathe out by the glands. That's, that's going to be your introduction to the glands. I don't think anyone's ever answered that question better. No. Um, there you go. um okay. Well, um, as we, as we start to wind it up, so as we, uh, hopefully are going to see ourselves coming out of, um, the, the lockdown situation we're in, what's, um, what's coming up? What's happening? So we've got a lot of music coming out. So we will have, I think, in the next five, six weeks, something, um, we'll have a new single. The announcement of the release date for the album that, that will be out this year, you know. And then it's going to be, like, another tune and then the record. And then, fingers crossed, some touring at the end of the year. I'm not going to rush touring because... I don't want to put people who work in the bars at a situation that uh, could be dangerous. I'm not going to put myself and the band in a dangerous situation. Um, I'd love to play live again, but I'm only going to do it. it like <clears throat> I'm only going to do it if everyone can feel safe. Cause I don't know about you, but what's the point in, you can't enjoy music. If you're not, if you're worrying about your safety, you can't I, um, lose yourself in that, you know. I, I, I run a venue now, um, and and we refuse to open until there's no restrictions and it's a, a complete green light that the, the, this is done because you you can't you can't enjoy yourself if, no. if there's something hanging over you that you're thinking should we be here should we not like you're you're not gonna. It's not going to be representative of what we want to do as a venue. We want people to come there and have that abandonment that they have, that they, they've always had, and, yeah. and that's key. You you want people to, like, I did a tour very briefly. Like, I did a tour when, um, uh, with playing with Hans Zimmer, which is the other thing that I do, you know, um, in his band. And we were playing these really, we did a European tour during uh, the terrorist attacks in Europe that were going off and we were um, music should be an escape for people. Whatever worries they've got, a gig should be an escape. And we were coming into every town in the venue and we were being briefed by the army. We would be in the venue and there'd be bomb disposal um, officers um, there. And with the venue would be sweeped for bombs and it was absolute touring through Europe at the time was insane high alert and i was in germany when the manchester bombing happened and we played a gig and uh, and it was one of the most emotional nights of my entire life where i felt i was far away from where i needed to be you know and, and to be part of the the city and playing a really you know playing emotional beautiful music and i i it it was so overwhelming you know i got through that gig and with the help of everyone around me and I was playing and I think there's footage of it on YouTube somewhere where I am playing cause I close out the show and I am 
barely hanging in there and I'm bawling my eyes out because just the music just got to me and and it was so intense and music needs to be without restriction and it needs to be like in places that people feel venues are where people feel safe if you are like if you are gay if you are trans if you are someone who doesn't feel represented in society a venue should be a safe place for you regardless of who you are you know obviously if you're not a racist <laughs> racist shouldn't feel safe anywhere let me clarify on that one but if you are a good if you are a good person no matter what no matter who you are no matter what you are a venue should be a space for you that you can forget what's bothering you and you can feel welcome and a part of something and unfortunately the situation that we're in we're now being asked to judge like to to basically go do we care about each other or do we care about making money do we care about going for a drink or do we care about someone who might go for a drink come back see their mum and make their mum ill you know and unfortunately everyone's made a sacrifice and because of obviously t terrible leadership we are now in a position where people are choosing the economy over being safe and as much as i would you know as much as i would love to be back in venues i want to play live i need to make money you know you need to open your venue to make money that you have lost you need to get back to life not at the detriment of, of somebody getting ill or worse you know exactly and you just go unfortunately i don't want to be part of the problem you know and let's see i mean it, it, oh, it's hard to hear you know i i absolutely feel for everyone who runs a venue you know we're very close to the night and day you know that's with without the night and day we lose our, our you know our everything and yeah because you know venues are community hubs you know and that's why they need to be protected and supported but i just refuse to be part of the problem you know yeah. wonderful yeah Niall, thank you so much for your time today Pleasure. it's been an absolute no, no. joy no really thank, thanks for doing it and you know just let me know when it comes out and I'll, i can push it and where people where people can find it and you know and there'll be plenty of new music for me over the next bit especially if i've got nothing else to do <laughs> wonderful thank you cool no worries man there you go what an amazing chat that was oh do you know what and what was really weird was right at the end i pressed stop and and uh, on the recorder and then obviously we you know i always like to sort of hang about for another five minutes and and thank them uh, and ask them you know how their day you know what they're going to do for the rest of the day and and we just got talking about guitars and um portland and then literally you missed the greatest story of um of Noel talking about playing peter buck's guitar in in uh in his basement it was a one <laughs> it was a wonderful story peter buck being you know one of my um you know he's in rem you know arguably my favorite band and so it was a real real lovely story to 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 get some stuff um uh after we stopped recording as well so um yeah thanks so much to Niall for giving up his time um it was a it was a great um great chat and uh and yeah he's uh he's going to be hopefully out on the road when it's all safe um new music coming out so go and check it all out um all that's left for me to do now is to say thank you to you lot for listening and have a lovely week and i'll be back soon see you soon bye bye
Oh yeah. Sorry, I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. 